following program may contain coarse language, suggestive dialogue, and discussion of violent imagery and sexual situations. It is intended for mature listeners who can tell the difference between facts and opinions. Is that a JoJo's reference? No, it's a new episode of the Toonami Faithful Podcast. I am your host, Sketch, and with me, I have... Editorial writer, VLORDGDZ. And we have some guests. Another editorial writer, LaserKid. And... Host of the Manga Mirrors Podcast, Lam Ramiyasha. And the amazing return of... Me, Allison, from... The Dumb Weeps Podcast, where there's five of us. I'm also on the MHA podcast sometimes. Yeah, and it's uh, it's it's been a while since we've had you on this podcast, hasn't it, Allison? I honestly don't remember the last time. <laughs> oh, I think it was when you had Jen on a lot. It was yeah. definitely before me and Allison were friends. So that was oh. probably like four plus years ago wow oh my gosh that's a long run yeah it tsunami just hasn't really gotten anything i've been interested in lately other than jojo's and i suppose demon slayer yeah i love demon slayer i think we all love demon slayer here it's almost like a demon slayer podcast reunion in here but laser (laughs) i don't like demon slayer demon slayer is terrible I thought it was the five dumb weebs planning to take over the Tsunami Paper podcast for a day. We would have to grab J-Mac and Alien for that one. Oh. Well, that's... you guys have the majority as three-fifths on Sketch and Me. So, that's I mean, true. It's, such, it's almost one. Yeah, oh, this is basically a dumb weebs podcast takeover. <laughs> Sweet. <laughs> We and it totally wasn't over. planned that way. I just reached out to anybody who was interested in talking about JoJo, and this is <laughs> this is who responded. Which kind of surprised <laughs> me. You'd think more people would have watched Golden Wind. Yeah, or you'd think more people would jump at the chance. Like, everyone loves JoJo. I mean, I, I feel love like... JoJo. This is actually like... the second time I've talked about JoJo on this podcast now. You're right. You were on the previous one where we talked about Golden Wind, and so was V-Lord. Yes. Oh. When it's JoJo, Long. I flock to it. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, CJ is not joining us. Alas. Alas. It would have been interesting to have Sakaki on, too, because Sakaki, very notably, is not a big fan of this part, and also, especially the Diablo stuff. I think well, when he mentioned Diablo, though, to... he goes into a panic. I, I think I might be able to fill his role on that one, because I liked it up until stuff. Interesting. Oh, he's got some hot tea to share, ladies I and gentlemen. Do. Oh my! Yeah, let's. let's all, all in its due time. Okay. All in its due time. So, in our previous episode talking about Golden Wind, we uh, sort of kind of covered uh, the first twenty-nine episodes of thirty-nine, and now we're going to talk about the final ten. But it only makes sense to touch on what happened in the 29th episode because it was kind of a big deal. Yeah. So, when we last left Bucciarati and company, they were contacted by a mystery man who tells them that Diavolo is near undefeatable 
with his stand King Crimson. He also details the history of the stand arrows that were created from the meteorites that housed a virus that either kills people or gives them superhuman abilities. So there you go, folks. Stands are alien powers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he could have become a Power Ranger, but instead, you get a stand. <laughs> I've seen, yeah. some people seen that movie, like Meteor Man. Oh my god. Uh, no, that, I don't think it's that comparable, is it? To midichlorians? Because midichlorians are like cells in your body, like mini organisms. Like, this yeah. is kind of tying into this idea that it's in general in JoJo's and Araki's, the team's Araki's boards of just like something that spurs the impetus of evolution in people, like the development of people. So, like, this is basically just a catalyst that's meteorite. Yeah, that's how I view it, too, because, like, it's also, like, they make it very clear that the arrows aren't the only way people get stands. Like, it's just, like, another catalyst. Gene. Yeah. Yeah. All, all these different, like, in X-Men, it's the X-Gene, and modern DC, it's the metahuman gene, you know, it's all, it's all the same kind of stuff. Yeah, <laughs> it's a mutation, which yeah, is basically whatever. Peter Parker doing. got bit by a radioactive spider, and now he has a stand. <laughs> Yes, I love this idea. So the mystery man offers to give them the stand arrow that will allow them to potentially defeat Diavolo, but they have to come to the Roman Colosseum to retrieve it. So the group consisting of Bucciarati, Giorno, Narancia, Mista, and Trish make their way to the Colosseum. Meanwhile, Diavolo sends Chocolata. Is that, is that how you pronounce yeah, it? Yeah, Chocolata. Chocolata. And Secco after the group, a sadistic doctor and his very eager assistants. Yeah, they're basically in a dom-sub relationship and they're into yes. pet play. Yes. The best yeah, kind of They're kind of like a twisted Shaggy and Scooby. What with uh, Chocolata oh eating Seco sugar cubes as a reward snack. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the the sugar for cube thing. Yeah. Do you want a Seco snack, Seco? Uh, now I can't yeah. unsee oh, 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 this. Oh, 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 oh my god. <laughs> the problem is you're not wrong. Oh god. Why oh, can man. I see Ken doing that? I would have loved to hear Eric do that. Do like a Scooby. Uh-oh. <laughs> oh This guy isn't actually alive. Uh-oh. <laughs> I want to hear Ken do the Scooby Dooby Doo now. <laughs> yeah. Yes, please. So they show up on their way to the Coliseum and they find that Chocolata's stand, Green Tea, originally Green Day, which, you know, it's a way better reference, creates a mold on any living thing that descends to a lower altitude. So, hey, it kind of works like the curse in Maiden Abyss. Hmm. Yeah. 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 Basically, as explained in the show, it's based on like this real life mole that does infect insects and grows when they jump down lower. So it's it's kind of another example of Iraqi probably just randomly was researching interesting animal facts or interesting weird trivia things as he's wont to do, and then he incorporates it into the story. That's like how he yeah. comes up with like half his ideas. I think. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he just, you know, reads about various things. It's like, hey, I'm going to just put that in. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's what makes Jojo so great, is that 
Araki's interested in all sorts of weird little things, and he, he mixes it all in into this weird little story. And he decides to punish some uh, guy who decides to pee outside by uh, <laughs> <laughs> letting half of his body turn to mold. <laughs> I can't feel my pee-pee anymore. Oh, no. Ah, <laughs> uh, you're just drunk. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, oof, gross. <laughs> so at this point, the team splits up. Buterati decides to take on Seko by himself and contends with his stand's sanctuary, which allows him to swim through the ground. Pretty neat. And Giorno and Mista battle Chocolata, who is attempting to spread the mold all over the city by getting up into a uh, helicopter. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, they have to really contend with this guy's ability to sew himself back together in the heat of the moment. Yeah, <laughs> like Shalkalata, as a sadistic doctor, like he used his human experiments back when he was like a regular doctor to figure out what parts, what nerves he could sever and keep the body alive. So he does that in the helicopter where he like cuts up like basically his entire lower half of the body and he to maneuver around quickly in the helicopter and his spine is like wriggling out of him like a like kind of a tail it's so creepy i gotta say this is one of the better villains in golden wind he's just so creepy and so effective (laughs) yes agreed and uh as as per usual there are many times when it seems like one character has the upper hand and then the other one's like oh but i have the upper hand oh yeah and Jonah wins. I, I, insert crazy action music here. Actually, it was me who planned this all along. <laughs> so yeah. many faints and bluffs. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. And Bucciarati manages to defeat Seko, but he has to sacrifice more and more of his failing body like he has to blow out his own eardrums which is, ugh. Yeah. and at that point he has like no sense of sight or hearing and he can only sense souls and this gives Diavolo the idea is like oh if I manipulate my soul to be more like Trish's I can trick him into thinking that Dopio is Trish and that leads him to mistakenly bring Dopio and in turn Diavolo to the mystery man at the Colosseum and Diavolo recognizes him as none other than Jean-Pierre Polnareff. Our fancy Frenchman. Mm-hmm. Of oh, course. Yay. He's of all, the funny all, man. All the characters to bring back. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that was an interesting choice. But he's, you know, he's wheelchair bound now because uh, he had a bit of a scuffle with Diavolo years earlier when yep. uh, Diavolo unearthed six of the stand arrows in Egypt, keeping one and then selling the rest to Inyaba, which, you know, brings everything together, kind of in a contrived way. Yep. (laughs) Yeah. It was on about his fault. I know. I think it's kind (laughs) of interesting, that connection there. I I do appreciate it. I do appreciate the effort to tie it all together. Golden Wing in general was kind of extrapolating on the origins of the stand arrows and their role in creating stands and the evolution of stands, so... 
I think it, it's kind of interesting to find, okay, well, where did Inyaba find these arrows? Or And then, because we knew from Diamond is Unbreakable that she used the arrows to give Dio his stand, and Dio used them to give other people their stands. And so, really, it, like, Inyaba like... just, like, buying it from someone is kind of a very simple mystery, but I guess yeah. it kind of works, and, like, it does make Diablo sort of relevant to, like, the legacy of Dio. Yeah, it gives him a connection to the previous villains. And it also, you know, goes back to this idea that all these stand users, they are connected by the mm-hmm. shared destiny and fate, which is a huge overarching theme in all of JoJo, but especially is pronounced and explored in this part. And the next part. Oh, and the next part. I, yeah, mm-hmm. like a lot of the themes in this part are expanded upon even further in part six. Interesting, interesting. Let us hope that they finally animate it soon. We can only hope. Mm -hmm. This is Sketch chiming in to mention that we recorded this podcast before we had heard that the next part of JoJo would be getting an anime. So disregard this and any other mention that Stone Ocean hasn't been announced yet. And back to the podcast. So as I mentioned before, uh, Paul Nareff and Diavolo have had interaction before that being a battle between the two of them that left Polnareff broken and barely alive. And that explains why he is now in a wheelchair, which is kind of a neat, like, Oh, cool. Polnareff like had an amazing battle and made a great sacrifice. And, you know, it's, it's, it's nice to see Polnareff get, get a little shine. Mm-hmm. So, a battle for the arrow ensues between Polnareff and Diavolo, and it ends when Polnareff stabs the arrow into his own stand, Silver Chariot, which then transforms into Chariot Requiem. And this stand proceeds to swap the souls of every living creature in the area. Polnareff ends up in the turtle, which is good news for him, because his body is morte. Mm-hmm. Bucciarati ends up in Diavolo's body, and that is now, uh, his body is now hosting Dopio's soul, which mm-hmm. is left for dead in Bucciarati's, you know, totally failing body. Giorno swaps bodies with Narancia, and Mista swaps bodies with Trish. And though they are no longer in their own bodies, they are able to use their own stance. And I appreciate this, that all the actors involved here did a great job of pretending to be other people. Because it's so boring when body swap stories happen and it's like the the old voice of the soul goes yeah, into the new body. I yeah. like it so much more when the actors are allowed to pretend to be the other characters. Yeah, I gotta and give especially that. Trish's voice actress channeling Mista was like yes. super good. The oh, way yeah, that she, she captured his that. personality. Yeah. Yeah, that was that was superb. <laughs> and and also Mista like, oh, oh no. Uh, I'm not in the right body. <laughs> that was also some great acting as well. Yeah, Sean like, Chiplock pretending to be Trish, like freaking <laughs> sleep. That was beautiful, yeah. And uh, who is who is Trish's actress again? Lizzie Freeman. Yeah, Lizzie Freeman. Man, she's gotten a lot of work lately. Good for her. Good for her. What anime has he been in? Oh, boy. Uh, (laughs) A lot of things. Like, she was uh, 
Shizuru and rents a girlfriend. Uh, she's. Gosh, you in Re Zero. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the character Cardinal in Sword Art Online Analysisation. Okay. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. She cool. was. <laughs> yeah, she was oh, Cardinal. She I was, think uh, Cardinal was the first time I heard her in something. Yeah. Oh, she was Kotoko in Inspector. So lead. Yeah, role. yeah. She was a lead on that. I'm noticing a pattern. Aside from SAO, all of these I've watched in Japanese. Huh. <laughs> well. That explains a lot. Still, Crunchyroll's dubbing a lot of shows. Oh, I know she's in some other Crunchyroll dubs. They they, they tend to have her a lot. Bungo? Uh, she's Shitose in Tonakawa stuff. Oh, yeah, she is. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, she's been quite yeah. a, in quite a bit lately. Mm. That's good. I, I don't really watch dubs these days, to be honest. Well, she's a great actress, and I'm looking forward to seeing her and hearing her and more stuff. Yeah, mm-hmm. me too. She was pretty funny. It's... Yeah, she did a great job. Yeah. Yeah, she really, really nailed it as Trish. <laughs> Especially in these moments when she's pretending to be Mista. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, it was amazing. So the group attempts to retrieve the arrow from Chariot Requiem, but it has the ability to turn their stands against them. I don't really understand this. Uh, Diavolo seems to overcome this by attacking the shadow of Chariot Requiem. <laughs> don't think too hard about this. It really is fun. That yeah, there's it, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me why this happens either, but it, it totally does. Yeah. So with all the body swapping shenanigans going on, Diavolo uses King Crimson to impale Giorno's body on the broken iron bars, instantly killing Narancia. What a way to go! That is the most tragic death of the whole show, to be mm-hmm. honest. It's so sad. Yeah, too. especially because it, 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 it's, it's just he had a huge dead flag set up of like talking about oh our future and whatnot. Like he had that big yeah. moment that then yeah, like yeah, death yeah, flag. That, that, death yeah flag. that was kind of like a red flag. Like oh, man, he didn't yeah. deserve this. Oh. He was too good a boy. That's like everyone yeah. in this cast though, besides Hugo. Yeah, and hey. honestly, my, my major problem with that is that even if you're gonna kill him off, this is just sort of hey he's dead now, literally yeah. doing nothing. Did nothing, just died. Thanks. This is narratively interesting, except for it's not. That's not my biggest hot tea. In fact, that wasn't even what I intended, but there is that. Paul Nareff deduces that he probably killed Narancia because Narancia would be able to sense him sooner than anybody else. Yeah, he was using Aerosmith to, you know, track... Uh, and scout like the city and see what was going on. Little bomber. Mm-hmm. How does Aerosmith become little bomber? Come on. Oh gosh, <laughs> who knows? Gotta avoid they those copyrights. Just... <sighs> I like the scene they added with Naranj after Naranj is that we have this scene of like it's in the sky what looks like litter uh Aerosmith little bar whatever you want to call it like a plane like thing it's flying in the sky and we see the shadow of it like we we cut back in and we see Fugo and he looks up this guy seeing that shadow and I like just seeing because Naranj and Fugo had that 
very close friendship and connection. Like I like touching in back in on him. And then it's just kind of a sweet like farewell to Narancia. It's like it revealed like the shadow that was cast was not like a plane. It was like just some bird, but it's going off in the sky and kind of just reflecting, you know, Narancia's passed away. Yeah, that's what stuck out to me. And also when Diablo initially tried to kill Polnareff, you could see like uh, Jotaro and co like yeah he flashes back to his friends Jotaro. all the Stardust Crusaders yeah. yeah it's those little details that I really like that David Productions added because I've said this before but god they really improved part 5 like yeah know, they fleshed it out I mean like uh, with La Squarta especially I mean you guys talked about last pack I was like they've added in so much more backstory for those characters they like did? it just yeah, there was, like, not a ton of backstory for them in the manga, but in the anime, like, they added so much more. And with the, basically, all the members of Ruchalade's crew, too, they added, like, uh, an enhanced a bunch of backstory elements. Fugo, in particular, like, basically got, I didn't think he really had much of an extended backstory in the manga, but they really expanded on it in the anime. Yeah, they I also moved them a lot earlier, too, so you got yeah. to actually attach them, rather than yeah. putting them closer to, like, their actual deaths. Yeah. Wow, that's interesting. Yeah, that's that would definitely be an improvement because it's just like, oh hey, this guy's a character and now he's dead. It's just like, okay, you just told me his backstory so you could kill him and make me feel bad, but it doesn't work because I didn't care up until now. So yes, that's definitely an improvement. <laughs> part five just kind of feels like a good version of part three, or or like in terms of like I like everybody compared to part three where I liked maybe two or three. That makes sense. Yeah, I, 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 I definitely <laughs> like. I like the characters a lot in part five. Like, I think if, yeah, I think that would be one of its greatest strengths is that one, it feels like the, the characters are more vulnerable. So there's more like drive to the plot compared to parts three. Cause you know, in parts three, like everyone's such a badass that it's like, yeah, they get into danger, but it's like, you know, it's just kind of fun adventures for most of it until the very end. And then in part five, it's like every fight is like a, real fight for the life and you feel like the characters are genuinely like struggling and vulnerable and it's like two to nails every time the thing is i feel like the first half of part five feels very close to that same structure of part three i but mean in the second half and traveling while being hunted down by members of the villainous force so structurally it's very similar yes exactly and in the second half i feel that's when like the story really started to focus more on those characters and, like, especially Bucciarati and Giorno and, like, really, what really makes them tick. And I think that's when the series became a lot more interesting. I have to agree with that. Also, Trish. Them actually I mean, giving yeah. Trish agency was 10 out of 10. Yeah, yeah Trish is cool. That was a good choice. I also feel like this moment where they kill Narancia and Giorno's body is just kind of a cheap way to kill Giorno with not killing Giorno. Just, just thought I'd throw that out there. Yeah, sorta. I mean, it's definitely a shocking visual. So yeah, it's also a real convenient that. way to get Giorno back into his own body. <laughs> yeah, because yeah. he tries to heal the body, but Narancia's soul's already passed on. But that allows Giorno's soul to just slip right back in there. It's so no, empty. I can no move must, right no in. Yeah, it's a sad scene though, the way he describes it, because he is. Yeah. Genuinely sad that he couldn't stay in Narancia in time. Yeah, and it's interesting too because like you rarely see Journal get very emotional, and yeah. here you do see him like 
almost breaking down because like he's been friends with Naranja for so long and he couldn't save him. He's failed to save someone when he's time and time again been able to save these people. You yeah. definitely see Jorno at his most fraught and worried and you know desperate in these episodes. Like not only you know is does he despair over not being able to save Narancia, but he's also extremely worried about Bucciarati through all this too. Mm. Yeah, and I think yeah. that Reach's voice acting too also really helps emote it in a way that like when I was reading the manga initially a long time back, I didn't feel that from Giorno. But here you can really mm -hmm. tell that right away that he's having these like turbulent emotions as like they're trying to deal with Silverchair and Requiem. So much more nuance to Giorno's feelings is conveyed through the voice acting. Like, absolutely, that's just such a big strength of the anime as an adaptation is that it can communicate what otherwise you could read in the manga. It's kind of more plain dialogue. You can really understand more of the the heart and the emotions behind it. Yeah, which I think is why a lot of people, especially before the anime came out, were a lot more di divisive on Part 5 and Giorno specifically, because even though Araki's intention was very much to have those nuances, you can't always tell that in text. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Definitely feel that. So we have another short tussle for the arrow, of which there are many. And it's revealed that Chariot Requiem's power has also begun mutating everyone in the city. Gross. So they give chase again, but Giorno tells everyone to stop moving because they have to find out whose body is hiding Diavolo's soul. A very reasonable request, but for some reason, Mista seems very opposed to having Giorno touch him, which is just a red herring because he's not actually the one with the boss's soul in him. It turns out to be uh, Mista's body, which is currently with Trisha's soul. And uh, so Diavolo is allowed to cut off Giorno's arm, which, you know, little does he realize has set him up for a future failure. Mm -hmm. Because bits of Giorno's blood on his hand can later be turned into bugs to eat through the wood attached to the arrow, allowing it to slip through his grasp once again. <laughs> <laughs> but then he uses Mista's body to propel himself into the sky to grab the arrow because this is just a constant... Oh, oh, you think you got the arrow? No, I got the arrow. No, you got the arrow? No, I got the arrow. Who can out-Jojo themselves more? Like he, no, you don't push the button, I push the button. Elevator, go down the hole. <laughs> At some point, it literally just falls through somebody's hand like it like it just went through their hand. Like, what the? Just... It gets pretty comical, almost. Yeah, yeah, it, it really does. Especially with Diablo. <laughs> just... Using Mista's body to propel it, and using some other bystander's body to knock the arrow away after uh, Mista shoots. The it's very confusing when I say Mista's body and then I say I Mista's. Have to, <laughs> I have to hand it to Devola's voice actor because he 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 just like loses it beautifully in these moments. Oh, Kellen, they, yeah, Kellen Goff does an excellent job as also as uh, as playing Bucciarati in these scenes where he's yes. supposed to be Bucciarati. He's he's doing a really good job with like that her heroicness to his voice. I like I like it. I like it a yeah. lot. Mm -hmm. Good stuff. <laughs> also like him voicing 
like Bucciarati is like peak Diavolo body, Bucciarati personality. Like that's that's the alpha male right there. Yes, alpha male. <laughs> the real Good goals. Stuff. Real, mm. real, real goals there. Uh yeah. So tussle and tussle after the stupid arrow, <laughs> over and over again, and uh, it looks like Diavolo is gonna grab the arrow as it's falling through the sky. But Butcherati's like, you know what? I'm just gonna destroy Chariot Requiem and uh, return everybody to their original bodies. So that foils Diavolo yet again. <clears throat> However, this comes at a heavy cost, being is that uh, Bucciarati's body's already dead, so he has to ascend to the heavens. But before departing, he thanks Giorno for making him feel alive again. And yeah. leaves the arrow in Giorno's hands. It's like, the heavens open up and you see Bucciarati. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's, uh, it's something. <laughs> All hail our savior, Bucciarati. Nah. Oh, he was in so much pain, right, Free Lord? He was. Yeah. <laughs> he really yeah. was. Well, he wasn't feeling it though. Yeah. Yeah. Not towards the end. But it's emotional pain. Yeah. Emotional yeah. pain. Yeah, it's emotional pain. Yeah. It was a very tragic moment. I remember when uh, me and Lum first read JoJo back in the day, Bucciarati is in so much pain just became a running gag between us. Cause... <laughs> yeah. Jesus, the stuff that he goes through in this series. Yeah. Like, his body's just literally decaying by the end. It's like... Yeah, no, in the fight with Seko, you see it's just getting ripped apart, but he, like, barely feels it. And then, like we mentioned before, he basically has lost so much of his senses after that. Eardrums, man. He's a living corpse. And it's just, like, extremely disheartening. Yeah. To just see the state he's in. It like, gets the, the winner, just like, man, just put him out of his misery. The <laughs> last half of part five is just pain and suffering. True. True. Everyone you love dies. Yeah. So, after all of this, Giorno manages to get his hands on the arrow. And uh, Diavolo contemplates running away, but he's like, you know what? No. I'm, I'm, I deserve the arrow. Me, 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 me. So he tries and reclaims it, but uh, Giorno uh, uses it on his stand, Golden Experience and uh, <laughs> Golden Wind. And then uh, it becomes a Golden Wind Requiem. And this doesn't quite stop Diavolo from trying to win, but in the end, he attempts to. You know, defeat Giorno and Golden Wind, but he can't. And even though he thinks he succeeded at some point, it's all just in his mind. And the fact is that Golden Requiem <laughs> has pummeled him into never-ending death. I kind of thought it was interesting that Golden Requiem, Golden Wind Requiem, it's like, yeah, even my master slash human whatever you want to go has no idea that i can do all this have fun bye yeah yeah Yeah. so from uh the perspective ever of everyone watching it looks like diavolo just fell into the river heavily wounded but giorno's like no we don't have to go after him it's fine don't worry about it and we see all these different ways that Diavolo has to continue suffering. First, he thinks he got away. He crawls into a tunnel. 
he gets stabbed by some homeless man yep. and dies. Mm-hmm. Then he finds himself on an operating table, unable to move. And even though he's trying to tell this woman not to cut him open, she starts to perform the autopsy. Okay, that was a little unsettling. I'm usually into gross shit. Yeah. Yeah, it was It was very uncomfortable. Like, it made me yeah. a little serious. Yeah. And he's unable to move, but he can feel everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's so the opposite he, of Virtuati. Yeah, then, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then, oh, that's an interesting juxtaposition, actually. So he dies of shock, and then he uh, awakens on a street side, and a dog barks at him. He gets startled. He falls into the street. He gets run over by a car, which, of course, means he's been reincarnated into an isekai. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. I want to see an isekai starring Yevolo now, where he's just, like, paranoid about dying again and getting reincarnated over and over again. It'd basically be ReZero, but starring Diavolo. Oh my god, yes. I love it. Not sure I'd want to see that that mainly because Diavolo's boring. Yeah. And then there was this time where he wakes up and there's a little girl in a field and there's like a farm and he's like, no, 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 what are you going (laughs) to do to me? (laughs) And we never find out. Nope. (laughs) Which, uh, hmm. Yeah, mm. that's that's pretty interesting. Mm. We don't want to know. <laughs> yeah. We don't he ended up know. in the deep south. That that's all you need to know. <laughs> <laughs> oh my! How okay. And then, strangely, in the second to last episode, partway through, mm-hmm. we get a flashback to. Uh, Bucciarati and his crew before they meet Giorno. And it's about a florist requesting that Bucciarati kills this man who caused his daughter's suicide. And uh, Bucciarati's like, you know, if you you think this really happened, you should go to the police. He's like, no, please understand that I know I can't go to the police with this. You know, I'll do anything to get vengeance for my daughter. So, uh, on the way to interrogate the sculptor, who is the boyfriend of his name's Skolipi, <laughs> he uh, yeah, with his stand, Rolling Stones. <laughs> Rolling Stones. Is that what it was called in the dub? Yeah, they actually left that. Or, or, or was of, it called that in the dub? Let me it's kind check. Of, if they left that alone, that's kind of amazing. Prophecy stones. Come Prophecy on. stones. Uh, Come on. We gotta avoid the music people going after him. Original name, do not sue. (laughs) (laughs) Original name, do not sue. I mean, I guess that's descriptive of what the stand is, but it's... (sighs) Whatever. (laughs) That's the weird thing about these name localizations. Like, sometimes they can get a little clever with it and make change a musical reference to like a less obvious musical reference but then other times it's, they just rename it to describe what the stand is like little bomb or prophecy stones it's like come you can be a little try a little harder i feel to to work in a different reference but whatever yeah what was that one at the end of part three billy jean and 
the original name was was it Billie Jean or was it because I know I they like, changed it from one I feel like it was and they probably wanted to avoid being copyright attacked no but oh okay well one that stands out to me is with how they changed Oingo and Boingo in Parts 3 to Zenyatta and Mondata which is a, a different musical reference so yeah. it's like they still made their names a musical reference, but they just changed it from the one that they were worried about the copyright from. I just feel like they could try with some of these other ones rather than just this, you know, making them like literally what the description of the stand is. I mean, by dub standards, Jojo Dub pretty top tier aside from the name changers, not gonna lie. I mean, yeah, no, that's right. Billy Jean was Kenny immaculate. G. So yeah. they changed Kenny G to Billy Jean. Yeah, that was really that's- weird. So what you're telling me is that Billie Jean's not my girl? Uh, I don't know. I guess so. But I mean, that that's an actually uh, an interesting change that still keeps a musical reference, so that's why I wanted to bring it up. Okay. Also, I'm never going to get over Pet Shop of Horace. Who's <laughs> <laughs> Horace? Hor- Horace was the name of Pet Shop stand. Yeah. It's, it's the... Pet Shop of Horror is reference to Pet Shop of Horrors. Oh, yeah. okay. Horrors, and mm-hmm. All right. Yeah. Right, so back to this flashback. On the way to interrogate the sculptor, Mista sees some strange round stones. Upon meeting the sculptor, Mista realizes that he is a stand user, and after finding another stone next to him sculpted in the form of Bucciarati at the moment of his death, mm-hmm. uh, he, he tries to force the truth out of Scolipi, he explains that his stand creates stones with the images of people just a moment before their deaths. Once a person touches their own stones, they are allowed to choose to accept their death. He affirms Mm -hmm. that after the florist's daughter touches her stone and realizes that she's about to die and then commits suicide to allow her organs to be transplanted into her ailing father and save his life. Mm-hmm. Upon learning this, Mista tries his best to prevent Pucciarati from touching his own stone, almost killing himself in the process. Hmm. So I guess that ties into Pucciarati's fate in the end. I yeah, guess. the entire uh, message of the epilogue of Sleeping Slaves is meant to be a reflection on the theme of fate and the fate of these characters in particular. Because the entire kind of premise of this arc and the chase after the Requiem Arrow is kind of, you know, the ability to accept fate or defy fate. What Diablo wants to do, what he believes he has been destined to do, is that fate has chosen him uh, to stand on top of everyone else and that he, because of his ability to see through the future and to use his stand to cut time and avoid things that'll happen to him like basically the ability to defy what is fated to happen to him like he believes you know that he Mm -hmm. can do that defy fate meanwhile the other characters are protagonists they are accepting of the fate that will come to them and they are not so much concerned about what that fate is because as is kind of the common and core teen and message of jojo like the ultimate idea is that no matter what, at the end of the day, fate is going to favor the righteous and the just. And so they are only concerned with doing the right thing. 
and sticking to their ideals and convictions. Man, and so parallels. that ultimately, I mean, see, this is a thing like this idea, like that is explored in this part, is then also extrapolated upon in the next part, and it that kind of comes to the conclusion of what like the past couple parts have been building up to with this thematic idea in the next part. But this is kind of also the message of this and like as a reflection of Bucciarati's character arc and how he had been persisting and living on through just sheer willpower even after essentially dying. But nonetheless, he could not defy his fate. You know, he could not defy what was destined for him to go. And at the end of the day, he was accepting of that. That's kind of what his last conversation with Jorna was, is saying, like, I'm returning to where I began. It's like, you know, this this is like what fate has chosen for him, and he is embracing it. Like, you know, he did what he set out to do, and he is satisfied in that life that he had lived up and... You know, the journey that went on that, you know, that fate had led him towards. See, stuff like this that I think, despite my initial middling impressions of Golden Wind when I first experienced it, has now made me, like, genuinely love it. Because, yeah, the plot's messy at times, some things are just plain weird, but it really hits home what JoJo is all about. And I think, this is looking at it retrospectively, too, but, like, as Lum alluded to, like, with later parts... It feels like Golden Wind is really building up to those epic climaxes. Yeah, I think the minutia of the plot beats is an area where you could look at it and say, well, this wasn't super mm-hmm. satisfying. This was a little maybe all over the place. But I think mm-hmm. Araki's strongest suit is that he has like a clear vision for what he wanted to express in his story and a clear theme, this clear idea of exploring fate and destiny and also the evolution of living beings, which is also explored upon, with the idea of the arrows in this part, mm-hmm. and also what Silver Sherry at Requiem does in like causing mutations and other mm-hmm. living beings, like all these ideas of kind of like the fate of life and living beings, like that is like at the core of JoJo's and like, I think this part really does explore that pretty beautifully and really does set the stage for the ultimate extrapolation of it and the ultimate conflict of it in the next part. And then even beyond that, there is even further building upon it in the parts to follow after that. Like, I think especially the second half of golden wind really capitalizes on Araki's like growing passion for character writing because mm-hmm. there are well-written characters in previous parts of JoJo, but this is where he starts really diving deep into these characters. And moving forward, JoJo's a far more character-driven series rather than fight-driven, which I, yeah, I think I, was a really good direction for it. I absolutely, and I think this is one thing you can point to what makes the main cast of Golden Wind so strong is that they are all tied to the core theme of fate in the series because they are all characters who are born into very hard lives and they were presented opportunities and choices in their lives that they had to make. And regardless of where they came from, you know, fate brought them together. They brought them on this journey and they chose, for the most part, well, they chose to embrace that journey 
and go forward with it, no matter like what that destination would lead to them, lead for them. Like even if for some of them that destiny, that destiny, that fate led them to their deaths, like that's just a journey that they had to go on. Mm, kind of a sucky journey. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm not. I, I'm not sure that that's the message I get from part five. I'm, I'm glad you guys found something out of it. I just, for me, it doesn't really do what it's set out to do. You, you At the beginning, we have this thing of, I'm going to take over the mafia, and I'm going to fix the mafia, screw everything in my way. That's more of a defying the, 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 the fate than, you know, accepting fate, in my opinion. Hmm. Not real. I mean, that is kind of just Giorno creating a goal. Like, that is Giorno saying, like, this is well, what I'm going to live up yeah, to. Yeah, and by, by creating your own goal, you're not accepting fate. You're making your own. Yeah. Makes sense. Hmm. I see. But, I mean, honestly, that, that kind of ties into the hot tea that I've got. This All is right. really cool. Everything's really awesome. Mm-hmm. Except for the fact that Diavolo is the most boring villain in JoJo history. What about Cars? I think Cars is like. I would rather deal with Cars because Cars had charisma at least. Did he, he was, though? He was, I don't think he, he did. Was well, he was oh. well overblown. Like he was doing mm-hmm. the whole guitar thing. He had a personality. Mm-hmm. Diavolo's just like I am a bad guy. Now Dopio is cool. Don't get me wrong, but Dopio's not Diavolo. That's made quite clear. Diavolo's. Oh. I am the bad guy, and I'm hiding my secret for reasons, and I'm doing bad things for reasons, and I have this tragic backstory. And what are those reasons? And what are those reasons? I have this tragic backstory that we're going to touch on for five seconds, and then never explain, and I'm just going to be evil because I'm evil. I am diet, uh, caffeine-free Dio Brando. (laughs) I mean, so I can't argue with a lot of that, but I do think that the dynamic between Dapio and Diablo and Diablo's whole idea of kind of trying to break away from the idea of fate through his power, I think is interesting. That being said, yeah. he, as a actual complex character, he's not that interesting. I would still put him above cars. Cause I feel cars is like the most vanilla thing ever, especially in part two, like Wom is the real highlight. I mean, I'm not going to disagree with you on that. It's just that at least Cars is crazy enough to be entertaining. Yeah, I think that would be the thing that makes Diavolo feel like a step down from previous villains, is that he he is not, like, in over-the-top in a, like, eccentric way. Like, he has Dapio, but Dapio is essentially a different character. I mean, if they they don't... If they'd done more with though his you know his situation with Dopia, that could have been interesting, but it just sort of it's it's set up and then never paid off. I feel like peak Diavolo was uh, when they were dropping off Trish, and he was like lurking in the shadows, and Bucciarati couldn't figure out what was going on, and before they realized uh, like the time powers, like at I that point he not. was he was menacing, he was mysterious. But once mm-hmm. once he's revealed, it's like, okay, this guy's really strong and he has really convenient powers, but mm-hmm. there's not much to him. I think part I, of it too to is like Diablo's power itself is not very original. Like it's technically not 
the world because it's it's not the world at all because the world slows down time to the point where it's like essentially stopping time what uh diabolo's ability king crimson does is that it's basically a two-part power with epitaph he uses that to see Mm -hmm. 10 seconds in the future to see what is going to happen like in that 10 seconds what is fated to happen and then he can use king crimson's power to cut out that part of time so that all those faded things they're gonna happen to everyone else like time that time that happened like what would have happened in that time that's gonna happen to everyone else but he it won't affect him he exists in that that missing time in an material state where whatever would have happened to him in that time won't affect him however what he would have done that would have affected other people that still happens to them and that's what makes the ability so dangerous is that he basically can use this to his advantage to basically do things consequence free to himself and see like i like that to an extent but it's also a lot more complicated on the like to explain than say like a previous villain like kira or dio and I it think is that's because com- it is like hard to. I mean, there's a reason why people have been confused, and there's all these how does King Crimson work means. Yeah, you know why that's been perpetuated in the fandom for years. But like, again, that's why this idea of fate is like very important in JoJo's because that's kind of the driving idea behind his power is that like he sees what is going to happen. Like even when he erases that time, whatever would happen, it will happen because that is like set in stone mm. so that so when you consider that idea and then how Diablo by basically erasing that time and erasing himself during that time how he avoids what that what would have happened to him during that time like that helps it make a lot more sense yeah because yeah. it's not just the time the actions during that time is like what is really important to consider and that kind of is a good contrast to what Gold Experience Requiem ends up being, because Gold Experience Requiem is literally setting everything to a state of zero again. So mm-hmm. it's canceling out both cause and effect in a way that would nullify anything Diablo could change. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. It kind of feels like a Dusex Magata, if I'm being honest with you. <laughs> Makes sense. You're gonna do this thing. You you can avoid doing things. Well, I can avoid you doing things. <laughs> I'm I'm gonna be completely honest. It's not very well foreshadowed at all. It's mm-hmm. no, like... it is kind of because like the mm-hmm. idea of the requiem stand, like Silver requiem, like repelling other stands that try to attack it. It's like this, and it's, it's how it's described as like like anything we try to do, it's just gonna re- be repelled back at us. It's like it's going to. Yeah. Be like as we haven't been able to do. I mean, don't get me wrong. Place, it's like, badass as hell to watch. It just doesn't. It's just kind of lazy. Mm. I mean, like it is like the convenient like way to like nullify Diablo's powers, and it is like kind of you know to describe in the uh, etymology of Judex Mike, It is the literal act of God. Like that is kind of what a requiem stand and the state. Oh, the state of it is. It is yeah. like a kind of godly power that can like change the the world I mean, around. The way it would feel to me is like Devil said, "I have the power of infinity." And Jorah says, "Aha! Why well, have the power of infinity plus one?" <laughs> no, <laughs> no. I think part of the yeah, problem too might be JoJo's one's upmanship for sure. 
Mm-hmm. I think part of the problem, too, might be the fact that, like, once Giorno gets the Requiem stand, the fight itself is, like, very short. Yeah. Which I think for some people might be dissatisfying. And after yeah. all these years, I've kind of reached the point where I view that entire build up to Giorno getting the arrow as the fight rather than what comes after. But on yeah, your initial go through of Golden yeah. Wind, I can definitely see that being disappointing, especially after more epic like uh, interactions like even Kira, even though Kira got killed by Buskoon. Like, there was still yeah. a lot of we, combat before that. We don't have a that. prolonged, like, one-on-one. Or, I mean, like, that doesn't bother me so much, believe it or not. I mean, for me, when I was looking at part three, I'm just like, okay, Dio lost because Dio lost? Question mark? He just got punched until he couldn't punch anymore. Okay. This at least had something happen to make it happen. I'm just mm. think it's kind of weird. My main problem stems from... Evolves not much. I mean, yeah, he's a great bad guy at first, but then he just it, it, there's no payoff on him, so it's just like okay, mm-hmm. the hero beat the bad guy, and I uh, huh? they did do um, some creative fighting with um, with Dopio versus Risotto. Oh, where, that was where, cool. Where yeah, the boss yeah. was influencing things, which yeah. I think is way more interesting than when Diavolo finally reveals himself. So we give him credit for that, but. Yeah, at the end here, it's it's just kind of meh. Yeah, I mean, I I'll give it this. Part I five like is definitely the, the most inconsistent part by far. Yeah, I like Diavolo for what he represents in the context of the themes of Rocky's trying to more than him as a character of himself. I will and say then that. They, and then at yeah. that point, he's not really a character; he's a plot convenience. Yeah, that's mm. a very. <laughs> So more more of a symbolic representation of ideas. Which means he's not a good character. Yeah. That's fair well, enough. I still find him. At least him. not a compelling character. He's certainly least... not. He's not. Guys, again, guys, guys. Let, have let the drive of like a little. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't think I'd Look, I don't care what his personality is. It dude's a beefcake. <laughs> oh my gosh. You can't understand. When Sketch has to say that, you know that we've been talking a lot. <laughs> but but do you have any other commentary, Allison? Uh, do you mean like in general or like? Yeah, a... yeah, in general. Like the, um, you, you can talk about anything in the series, really. Is part five good? Yes. There yeah. you have it. Well, it seems good enough to me. Like, I'm nitpicking at this point. I mostly enjoyed part five. I just felt like the bad guy was underdone, and I felt like the finale was kind of just rushed. I mean, think of it this way, Laser. You'll probably like part six a lot more. I'm actually very much looking for part six, just from what little I know about it. I will say it's an interesting choice to have that flashback right at the end there to kind of tie the themes of destiny together. It's an interesting choice, not necessarily one that I think they necessarily should have made, but... I kind of wish they had moved it back earlier, because they had already done that for a few other things, so I felt like... Well, it's kind of interesting, because if you had done... Because this, the Sleeping Slaves takes, like, right before Bucciardi meets Giorno, so it's like, do you really want to introduce introduce and establish, like, Mista? Because it's not written with the idea that you could go start 
read it before like reading the rest of the series it is like written as an epilogue that you know the journey these characters have been on the fate that is going to befall them like it's meant as a reflection of the story that's come before oh well, yeah but i yeah. feel like it, they could have reframed it a bit like maybe put it like near the halfway point and have them like miss or someone reminiscing on it mm, and, no i think it really does work best where it is yeah, I think it probably would have been all right, but then, like, there would have been that big spoiler of, oh, jeez, everyone it... you love dies. I mean, I yeah. don't mind it being where it is. I just would like more flushing out of what happened in the end rather than, and then the end happened. Yeah, I would say that it would be nice to see, like, hey, we know Jorno is sworn in as the new, like, boss of the organization. You know, maybe, like, more and of And Polnareff is still a turtle. Yeah, yeah I, mean, I, I don't have a problem with, with him <laughs> yes, getting I mean, that, but like he shouldn't have gotten that just from meeting Diavolo. There should have been more politicking to get up there, you know. I mean, they killed well, all of the other mob kill, bosses, though. Yeah. Well, then what? I mean, if you want to go to that extreme, what, is there even a mob left at that point? Wait, yeah. A bunch of, uh, and if there is, there are other people who would want to take control. So there's still more politics. Laser, they explain this in the show. Except they don't. Go ahead, Meowth. But, but Giorno looks darn good in that suit. He does. Yeah. <laughs> he does. I mean, it's I just will... a black yes. version of what he's normally wearing with some green highlights, but looks yes. good. Yes. And all the girls crazy about a sharp dress, man. Yes. There is maybe a little bit of Bucciarati influence going on, I think, in in that attire. Yes. Uh, maybe he a looks little very bit. sexy. Yeah. Yeah. It makes sense for him to kind of want to kind of reflect and embody ideals of like his apartheid friend who also believed in the same dream that he did. So where's the part of the story where Giorno finds out that it's not so easy to just stop the drug trade even as the boss? I need this. <laughs> I need to see spin-off with Giorno. Yeah. I mean Laser's point. Like, yeah, it wouldn't like this is, you know, on this ending is under the presumption that it is like a happily ever after. Like they beat the boss, they succeeded in taking over uh Passione, and so now everything's gonna be good from now on. But yeah, like you could explore this further and saying, Well, it's not gonna be that easy. It's gonna take even more work. But like, you know, in terms of the destination of Jorna becoming the boss, it Iraqi ended where he ended it, and but I do think it would be interesting to see like follow up material. And I think like you know I I think this is an element of purple haze feedback that there's like lingering things like not everything is perfect with yeah. Giorno taking over Passione, and so yeah. there's there's still there's still stuff to be worked out. I really wish like we could get purple haze feedback adapted because I think that would be yeah. not only a good closure for Fugo's character but also it's a good epilogue to part five. Yeah. The only problem is that the new stuff they added for the anime in fleshing out the squad is backstory contradicts things said in purple haze feedback. Like, because one of the characters purple haze feedback, like was like working with the squad, but they don't show them in the anime. And so this causes a this would cause a continuity error if they were to yeah, they, they like could rework it as it though. They've already reworked a lot yeah. in this part, so I they, don't think that's were, the biggest yeah. issue. 
they they'd have to was, rewrite it a little bit to, if they want to present it as this is like a canon continuation. But otherwise, they could just adapt yeah, and they it can make more money by just bundling it with another Rohan thing. Yeah, yeah. We can, we can get our Boogie Pop JoJo because Purple Ace Feedback's written by the creator Boogie Pop. Fun fact. Yeah. Oh, well, it's oh, more interesting than interesting. Boogie Pop. Boogie Pop's amazing, <laughs> Allison. Don't make me sad. Since Amazing. you mentioned those uh, those OVAs, I watched those. They're they're very good. They're very interesting to be like horror stories. Yeah. So uh, I recommend people check them out. And they, you know, they brought back most of the prior cast. <laughs> they got rid of the ones that should be yeah. thrown away. Uh-huh. It's the same one in Japanese, though. Yeah. But Crispin yeah. Freeman's in it. Nice. Nice. That's pretty cool. Nice. That makes a dub worth watching. Yeah, for sure. So they do a good job with those dubs. And uh, yeah, I recommend people check them out on Netflix because it's where they're going to be. Forever. I don't know if Viz will even be able to release them on home video, but hopefully at some point. Probably not for like five years or something. Yeah, who knows? <laughs> I mean, Viz does release some stuff that's on Netflix, like Castlevania. So, who knows? I mean, with the way things yeah. are going, too, they might have to redub it when they get it. Oh, boy, that is some nonsense. Also, Sentai, really? You're going to bother redubbing Hero Mask? <laughs> Baki, I got a Circus, but you're going to redub Hero Mask? I can understand redubbing Baki. It's definitely worth having a dub for, but Hero Mask? <laughs> What's wrong with Hero Mask? No one Just... wants Hero Mask. At least oh. I don't think anyone wants Hero Mask. Who cares if it's dumb? I liked it. It's the point. Oh, okay. <laughs> Y'all have got to be spending your money dubbing Kaiji! Yes! Oh or Banana God. Fish. We don't please have save... Banana Fish yet, but I hope they get it I did... Please save Banana Fish. I mean... Hey, they got Dora. It's... And it's they're dubbing Dororo. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Banana Fish is like stuff even the straightest of straight guys could dig. Because it's got action. You know? I, I really enjoyed Banana Fish. I think it's a fantastic show. Anyways. JoJo, very good. Bruno is bae. Yeah. Yes. You know is bae. Bruno is like the best partner character in like all of JoJo. Yeah. yeah. One of the best characters in all of JoJo's. To be completely honest, like his best, character, best. his arc is just fantastic. Like there are a few characters in part six and part seven that get close to Bruno for me, but Bruno is very high up there. Mm-hmm. He starts strong and only gets better. Yeah, it's like the uh, JoJo except the uh, Bruno. Yeah, and thank goodness he's around because Giorno's not that interesting. As we established in the previous podcast. Though, by now, he has kind of come into his own. So, there's that. Yeah, I mean, he has good moments, at least. Like, I'm very... I was pleasantly pleased about how they adapted the iconic, like, beatdown of a Shao Kalata, where in the manga, it's like six full-page spread in a row (laughs) of him just pummeling Shao Kalata. And in the anime, they do it with... It's like six different shots of it. It was in so a row, great. and it's it's a great, it's still a great sequence. Like it's yes. one of the best beatdowns in JoJo's for sure. I I love Giorno, so 
that was like, ouch. But I get why his personality is kind of... I don't know what to describe it. He's a bit of a chill boy. He's yeah, not I mean, really grumpy. Compared like, to previous JoJo's, he is more confident of himself and he has less vulnerable moments. Like, you exactly. think about the character progression of characters like Jonathan or Josuke, they have all something to prove. Mm. Like, they like they have, like, more of a, a struggle, a chip on their shoulder. I would say Jotaro is, like, the only one that doesn't really have that, but even then he has, like, kind of some growing, some maturity from, like, just kind of a punk who pushes other people away at the beginning to... Uh, by the end, he has, like, really formed a camaraderie with the people around him. And he, you know, he really has matured in that sense. And we realized with Shorna, he's already kind of fully realized the kind of person he wants to be by the time we meet him at the beginning of the series. And that doesn't really change. Like, his convictions, yeah. his resolve, like, that's pretty... Uh, that remains true throughout the course of the series so in that is way that, he is a more of a static stagnant kind of character is that why people don't like him as much as the other Jojo's? i mean he also just doesn't have like kind of the you know more wackier personality moments of a character yeah. like say joseph or josuke or like the like yeah, but super yeah but josuke wasn't even really used that much he just came in at the last minute like he was good but like the story kind of focused more on everybody else than Joe's King, if Joe's that makes King any sense. Pretty prominent in his own series. I mean, and he yeah. also just his punkish personality was very charming and is very charming to people. With Joe Turo, people, you know, even though he is more of a stoic character, again, it, he just has these very badass lines and moments that people remember him for. Like, yeah, that makes sense. Like, you know, his bluffs against both Darby's and when he beats a uh, band that like went that went in like uh, Joseph's ear or whatever. But like uh, his beat down of him and then the, the here's a receipt line afterward. Like he just had those moments that like endear people to him. So in contrast, Jorna just does not have as many of that moments. Yeah. Of and he doesn't like freak out when people insult his hair. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the biggest missing trait. He's, you know, he's he's honestly very chill for a Joe star. <laughs> very chill. Yeah. Very think, very composed. I think part yeah. of that's the fact that yeah, like he's him, part though. Rando. So No, but you'd think that if he's I mean, part Dio, he'd be also eccentric in a completely different direction, but he yeah. he's really mellow. Okay, I that's like a it. fair point. I like the metal man. Yeah, he's I'm, he's not a bad character. He's just, you know, just, you're up against like... all these other JoJo's that I I definitely take him over part three Jotaro. Oh, definitely. Yeah. But not part four. Mm, part four Jotaro. Yeah, yeah. part four Jotaro is kind of cute. But uh, yeah, we could debate the greatness of JoJo's forever, but I, I think we've milked this topic enough. And we should probably get out of here. So uh, thank you all for joining me. Let me do the house cleaning real quick. You can email us at podcast at tsunamifaithful.com. You can follow us on facebook.com backslash tsunamifaithfulpodcast and on Twitter at tsunamipodcast. 
You can listen to the podcast on just about everything, including iTunes, Google Music, and Spotify. You can find every episode of the podcast to stream online at soundcloud.com backslash Toonami Faithful Podcast. You can get the latest news by following at Toonami News on Twitter and read the news, views, and reviews on ToonamiFaithful.com. You can subscribe to the Toonami Faithful Pass on patreon.com backslash Toonami Faithful if you want some cool behind-the-scenes stuff regarding CJ's recent uh, What Toonami Means to Me documentary where he talks to many voice actors and one engineer. And uh, we uh, have other stuff on there, too. So if you just want to help us out and support the podcast and the website, you can do that. And, uh, yeah, that's everything. So, Allison, where can they find you? Yeah, yeah. you can find me at uh, Meowth900 on Twitter.com. Also, occasionally on the MHA podcast with Sniper King, Sniper in My Heart, and uh, other people. It's pretty lit in there. You get to witness my epic mango reading skills. Ah. You can uh, also listen to me on the Five Dumb Weebs cast with that V Lord guy. And who's the V Lord? He sucks. Uh, he's the guy who doesn't sleep at all. Yeah, seriously. And he really loves Heiji. <laughs> he seems okay now. Uh, okay. Yeah, it seems like a good stand up guy. I think yeah. I've heard of that. Uh... Dumbwaves podcast before. Um, yeah, <laughs> we also have a whole bunch of other people. Like, there's Alien on it and a laser on it. Yes, Alien, uh, former participant in the Toonami Faithful podcast. He might be back at some point. Who knows? I miss He's Alien. focusing on bigger and better things. Recently released another great Toonami Beats compilation. You should check it out. Yeah, so uh, check me out on those things. I probably talk more on those, but like it, you know, a lot of it's just like, oh, this guy took his shirt off, how handsome! <laughs> but I try to put in more effort than just being thirsty, just really hard, man. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, Laser, where can they find you? Ah, uh, you can find me on Twitter at Laser Prime. Find my editorials, of course, on Tsunami Faithful. Got one in the pike right now. Hopefully, it'll be uh, turn out pretty well. And you can find me on the Dumbwees podcast, which I also edit. Heaven help me, I need to be faster at that. <laughs> uh, life of editors. I feel ya. Loom, where can they find you? You can find me at LumRomiasha on Twitter. It's LumRomiasha to write. Please, it's like Amish Revelation and Analyst. Herders of Romansha, that's where you can find me. You can also read my reviews on allthatshow.com. we got a lot of books coming in. A lot of reviews going out, so definitely look forward to more of mine and the Lord's Mong reviews on there. And you can, if you want to hear more of my thoughts on various manga series, including Jodism, a lot of other different series, like you can listen to the Manga Rats podcast, where podcasts devoted to discussing manga as a medium and industry. We review series and cover news and do interviews, a lot of stuff. So you can follow that on Twitter at Mavericks, and we're on pretty much every podcast platform you can name and think of. And you can also listen to me talk about Yurisi Yatsura on my Yurisi Yatsura Focus podcast, Lump Squad, which you can find on Twitter at Lump underscore Squad, and that's also on pretty much every podcast platform you can think of. And it's a monthly podcast where me and my good friend, Andrei C. Yoshimura, we 
review uh, your Yatsa. We talk about your Yatsa. Like, we're currently going through the manga. We got plans to cover the movies now that they're on Crunchyroll. And it's a fun time if you love the wacky world that Mukunakashi creates. And you can, if you enjoy the art that I make for my podcast and just in general, you can follow me on Instagram at SidArtWorks. Thank you, Lum. And it's V-Lord, where are the many places people can find and hear you? <laughs> yes, people can find me on Twitter at VLORDGTZ. And then I also write various manga and light novel reviews for all-comic.com. And then also editorial pieces for tsunamifaithful.com. And then I do a bunch of podcasts, mostly hosting and editing them. Uh, the first of which is The Big Boy Itself, the Demon Slayer podcast which is on Twitter at DSlayer Podcast, then Oversoul Shaman King Podcast at Shaman King Pod, Dumb Weebs Podcast, as Allison mentioned, on Twitter at Dumb Weebs Pod, and then my newest baby, Saturday Night Shoggy, which is about all the different Shogakukan published manga and anime out there, and that's on Twitter at Sat Night Shoggy. So go and check out all those on your podcast platforms of choice. That was a lot. <laughs> Probably too much. <laughs> and I have nothing to, to promote other than the podcast that you're listening to right now. I'm uh, at Sketch1984 on Twitter. And you can bug my uh, partner in crime, Mr. Paul Pascrillo, at Paul Pascrillo, also on Twitter. And yeah, thank you for listening to this jojo fied podcast thank you all for joining me very short notice i greatly appreciate it yeah it was a lot of fun yeah thanks for having great. Us fun. great you can never go wrong with jojo Heck no. and thank you all for listening each and every week we release a podcast and with that we're punching out Come.